Hey everyone, before we begin, just want to let you know the two idiots now have a merch shop. So, if you want to rep the podcast, help support us, help us get new equipment, make a better show for you, head to teespring.com slash stores slash two dash idiots dash podcast. I realize that's a mouthful. That's a lot to type. So go to our social media and the links are there. So that's two, oops, that's teespring.com slash stores slash two dash idiots dash podcast. See, it's even hard for me to say, but it's easy to find. Get yourself some t-shirts, mugs, shirts, masks, got a whole bunch of stuff. And from now until the end of January, 2021, we're donating 10% of all the proceeds from the store to Southeast Helping Hands, the local food bank here in our area. So go there, help support us, but more importantly, help support them. Cheers, folks. On with the show. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of the Two Idiots Podcast. I'm Reg. I'm Randy. And as I mentioned in a previous episode or whatever, we're trying to do a a tagline to start episodes for new listeners. Um, so basically, we're two idiots trying to figure out the world one conversation at a time. Hey, look at that. Hey. Um, I don't know if that's accurate or not, but that's what we're going to say. <laughs> Joining us this week uh, is Jessica Peebles. Welcome here. Welcome. Hi. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you for joining us. How about uh, introduce yourself a little bit? Um, <clears throat> yeah, I am a healthcare aide. Uh, I also run my own um, staffing company, so we work privately throughout Manitoba to fill in the needs where um, they're short-staffed, so whether it be at personal care homes or at hospitals or um, even in private home care. So um, that's kind of what we do. I have a small little team um, of students because I'm focusing my company on trying to uh, support students while they go through schooling. Um, So... I've kept my company pretty small in that aspect so that I can keep the support on my staff that I already have. So uh, we basically go around facility to facility and we fill in the needs where where they need us, I guess. So That's good. we're we're the call we're the people they call when <laughs> we're the bat we're bat we're Batman. <laughs> <laughs> they have the bat signal in the sky. We, we gotta go. <laughs> yeah. to that Time hospital. to go. <laughs> yeah, Autobots roll out. Um, that's great. I imagine, oh, actually, I don't actually know, but as far as staffing goes, I assume there are a lot of shortages even before COVID in Manitoba? Uh, yeah, it's it's been something that uh, they, I guess Manitoba has struggled with for a long time. Um, mm-hmm. Staffing agencies have been around since I remember. I guess it's not normalized to the mainstream society, but like my mom was an ER nurse. So she worked in staffing agencies her whole career. So I always knew about them. So I thought Mm. everyone knew about them. (laughs) But no, um, a a majority of the staff who are in healthcare are women and they have babies. So they go on maternity leave. They need people to come in to cover those shifts. Uh, People call in sick. They may not have um, people to cover. So they call in uh, private people like us who are all trained and we're all licensed and We just go and we fill in the needs. So that's what a staffing company basically is. Uh, There's a few of us. (laughs) There's a a handful of us that are around. So, um, yeah, some other, they all cater differently to their staff. 
uh, based on how they want to run their company. So cool. I'm glad that. Yeah, I certainly didn't know. I just kind of assumed that every hospital had nurses, and if they had someone had to come in, like on an off day, they'd come in, right? So (laughs) yeah, they they definitely try to do that first. But um, in a lot of the places like that are rural, uh, you might the population might be a lot smaller. So how Mm -hmm. many people want to be nurses when they grow up? Right? They might not even actually have enough nurses living in the area to staff that facility, right? So they rely on agencies to come in to fill the need where they need. Yeah, yeah. for sure. <laughs> Especially in remote communities, in Manitoba in particular, because that's where we are. Um, it's not uncommon to be, you know, hours away from probably the nearest health care facility, I would imagine. Mm-hmm. So, Yeah, ex- that's exactly it. And uh, if those places aren't staffed, then mm-hmm. where are those people going to go if that's their only access to healthcare and if it's not staff then (laughs) that's not good so um (laughs) that's why we exist (laughs) yeah and again i'm glad that that is a thing because i I feel like there's always the the southern province bias right where or the winnipeg bubble where it's everybody within winnipeg they have their own issues around winnipeg and they don't really think about past the perimeter a lot of the time and you know all the big cities all three of them, I guess, whatever Manitoba has. Um, it's very common to not even think about the communities that, um, that frankly might not even be that far away, but far enough that they're like, I don't know, who cares? They'll figure it out. Um, but, so, so I'm glad you're there to fill yeah. the gap. <laughs> yeah, that's actually exactly it. That's, what it. that's what it seems like. It just seems like it's like, a, all right, you're on your little island over there. So <laughs> yeah. figure it out. Here's your budget. <laughs> And yeah, so they try their best to uh, do what they can in these circumstances that they have, right? So, sure, uh, and it's yeah. great, true. it's difficult, but I am, uh, you know, I commend you and people like you and and other c- companies as well that are trying to do that to fill the gap that clearly exists. <laughs> so, thank you. Yeah, welcome. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, on to what we were going to talk about. Um, so, basically. You know, by the time people will be listening to this, hopefully they've listened to our COVID episode and other commentary on other platforms about um, people being impacted and and hospitals and personal care homes and everything across the province being slammed um, and frankly, in many ways, not supported likely like they should. Um, But you, Jess, have more personal experience of uh, care homes in general. Um, So maybe because... You reached out to us, so maybe um, tell us tell us why you want to talk to us. <laughs> yeah, um, I actually wanted to bring forward a couple of things because uh, you guys have a growing audience, and um, oh, I'm sure so. a lot of people are wanting to learn more things. Right, that's why they sure. tune into podcasts. <laughs> that's yeah. why I do anyway. Um, but I just feel as though I, the general public doesn't really understand what goes on in care homes mm. um, and how we aren't able to do things like social distance properly because we need to be touching the person, talking to them face to face. Um, and there's, there's no chance for social distancing whatsoever, which is the number one way to keep yourself safe, right? Mm-hmm. Besides masks, right? Mm-hmm. There's a whole bunch of tools in your toolkit. You can wash your hands, wear a mask and social distance. Um, it's because it's, it's, through respiratory droplets, right? So um, a lot of these facilities that you go to, um, they might not have been made specifically to be care homes. So the Uh ventilation may be poor. 
There may be a bunch of other things like um, not access to a, a, a window that opens properly and fully, like it only, maybe only opens from the top. So ventilation is very poor. Um, so we're going in as healthcare workers from room to room, um, breathing on people because we have to roll them to move them to get them into wheelchairs. Some people are hearing impaired, so we have to yell at them so that they hear. And yeah. if we're only wearing surgical masks, then that's coming out. The air propellant is coming out from the side when we're yelling at them to tell them what we're doing. Mm-hmm. And they don't have the same rights as we do in the sense that we can say, hey, get get out of my bubble. They don't have that. They yeah. have to rely on people to live th- their day-to-day life, right? So right. Um, that's why it's so important to keep the community <clears throat> um, levels down so that it keeps our exposure to the virus down so that we don't bring it into work because it takes what five to what four to six days or something for you to actually get symptoms so you could be walking around for four to six days and with the staffing levels that it is right now they're doing 16 hour shifts so they're going person to person to person unit to unit um 16 hour shifts breathing on people and you know in the poor ventilation so like it that's why it needs to stay out of personal care homes because once it gets in, it's very hard to contain because For sure. there's just so many factors that the general public just doesn't see. That's mm-hmm. so. And hearing so it true. that way, it makes sense because it sounds like everyone's like, well, how did it get into these care homes, right? Like if people are being safe. And I think what people don't realize too is that like they can't expect people who work in these homes to just go home and not want to have a little bit of a life even in these times, right? So we all have to kind of do our thing to keep you know, you guys safe, to keep them safe. And just hearing that, right, inadequate ventilation, not the proper masking because of PPE shortages, like that's a lot more than I think a lot of people thought going into it, why it's spreading like it is there. Yeah, and uh, also too, like there's equipment shortages. Like um, let's say that I'll just use a just a stereotypical 20-person care home, Okay. There are two lifts that you use um, because people can't get out of bed. They have to use two different types of lifts. So if multiple people use those lifts, those lifts are going from person to person to person. Mm. And before the outbreaks happened, we weren't wiping them down person to person because it's just not enough time, even though we would only wipe down if it was like visibly soiled. But now um, with the staffing shortages and with the extra precautions, it is now taking staff so much longer to do their jobs because we have to get gowned up. We have to make sure everything's disinfected in between uses of everybody. So not only um, are regular staff already pushed to the limits in terms of like um, they're on your feet for like, we walk like 15 kilometers a shift. So um, it's nuts and they're doing it day after day after day. Eventually you're going to get tired and you're not going to follow proper procedure. It's it's just human nature. You just get exhausted. And that's how it gets in. And it's not no one's fault. It's just yeah. how the system is right now because it's so burdened. Well, yeah. And we're all, I mean, everybody's, I think, on the verge of burnout. And we're not even working in healthcare like Randy and I. But like it's to think that that's like every single day, <laughs> you know, or, or multiple days a week working that long, that hard in close contact with people that may be positive or are vulnerable. Um, and frankly, you know, I think it's been pretty well documented that man, at least in Manitoba, our personal care homes have been underfunded and under supported for decades mm-hmm. f- under 
several different governments, um, and it's no different now. But now, so now when COVID hits, suddenly everybody's at home. Like we all know what a care home is in theory. Um, mm-hmm. I don't have uh, any grandparents in them, but we all know someone that does. But again, we don't really know. You know, it's one of those things that just exists. But if you're not in it, you really don't spend any time thinking about it. So now that we are, we're realizing just how awful that situation is. Yeah. And um, I just wanted to bring light to like a lot of the people saying how um, lockdown is infringing on their rights and everything. (laughs) And I totally I understand 100 percent. However, (laughs) people in personal care homes have been under lockdown since March and we can't respect them enough to stay in our homes for two weeks when they've been locked in their rooms, confined to being alone, to only speaking to their family through windows or a tablet. And we can't literally sit home <laughs> for two weeks with Netflix, with <laughs> with yeah. um, delivery food services. Like we can't, I just, it doesn't, sometimes it just blows my mind that there are still people out there who just th- think so selfishly. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's, and that's what it is. I think just what it, they're not seeing how their actions actually can affect people's lives. Of and I, yeah, I don't know. For Freedom sure. over yeah, fear. This is literally Freedom. the easiest time to be called to do your job <laughs> and sit at home. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right. We have like every single means necessary to do this right now. So like <laughs> people are still finding ways to complain. So I don't know. <laughs> But I, I just put myself in their shoes. Like, they literally can't leave their rooms. Like, some of the rooms are 8 by 8 10 by 10 Those are... Some people have made comments about saying how they feel like they're in prison. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it shouldn't feel like that. And um, it's just because of the precautions. And we try to explain to them all the time, saying it's actually to keep you safe. And it's... Yeah. They don't care at this point. They're so they just want to see humans. Yeah, <laughs> like so. That's all. And Which is sad too, yeah. because you you know if the roles are reversed and it was you know young people and people our age dying at a rapid rate that they would be doing everything they can to keep us safe. But mm-hmm. I mean, here we are, right? Yeah, yeah. and that's I, I feel the same way too. So I just feel like I just feel like it's just lack of experience and just like they just don't understand. That's all. And. Not, you don't really know until you know. So yeah, but it's frankly it's mm-hmm. it's so common with with so many different issues where people say, you know, I don't get it. It's like uh, you know, I know a lot of people back in the day, particularly involving like uh, homosexuality or things like that, or even indigenous issues. People are like, I don't get mm-hmm. it, but they never make any effort to get it. You know, it's easy to just mm-hmm. say, I don't get it, I don't like it, it doesn't make any sense. But if you're not yeah. trying to make it make sense, then it's your fault. <laughs> Yeah, and uh, I think there's a term term for that. I can't remember off the top of my head, but it's like cognitive dissonance or something yeah. where something sits with you and resonates so, like, it just doesn't sit with anything that you've learned in your entire life. So you're just like, nope, can't be true. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, basically, I always understand it yeah. as, yeah, you're carrying two different ideas in your brain, um, which don't necessarily go together. <laughs> Yeah, that's what it is. And then I can't remember exactly the terminology for it, but like it just doesn't doesn't compute. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. You don't know how to handle it. <laughs> I would I would think that by now um, people are starting to get it a little because, again, as we mentioned in previous episodes, we all know people that have had family members die from COVID. Um, and you'd think that it would start to permeate 
mm-hmm. maybe it is, but I don't know. It, it's it's also another thing of, you know, when they first started, everybody kept saying, um, you know, it's, it's mostly affecting old people as though that somehow made it better. And yeah. uh, that we don't have to worry about it as much because it's just the old people, right? It's like, but those old people are, you know, family, they're veterans, they're they're people, they're alive. They, you know, they they have families too. And just because they're older than us, why why should we just think that they're expendable? And we shouldn't worry about. Yeah, it? and it's so hard too when all the you know the deaths come out every every day. They put them out, and it's just it's numbers, right? It's a seven year old male from blah blah blah. It's an eighty year old female from here. It's it's hard to if you can't put a face to it. And they, I know you can't do the names for privacy reasons and stuff. But like I said, if you could say like James Reimer. 80 years old passed away today mm-hmm. from this i think that would help kind of help it hit home for more people because you know that could be a dad a grandpa it could be your uncle auntie whatever right yeah i agree yeah it, yeah exactly and um doing the agency work it's actually been something that's been really enlightening in that sense where <clears throat> i would go to facility to facility room to room and i would get to see a snapshot of these person's lives like they're their um, photo albums are there to sit and look through with them. Um, they talk about their stories. So like when you actually are working and you, you see them and you get to know them as human beings and, and how they fought in the war or how they raised nine children and two of them are doctors. And, you know, these are people who actually contributed to society still. Like you know, mm-hmm. we're forgetting, you're forgetting, oh, they're old, dad, they don't matter. No, they built everything that you have right now and we we just need to respect the fact that yeah they have ailments right now that make them susceptible to having severe complications to covid and we need to protect them and respect them because they've they may have made their mistakes in the past they didn't have all the knowledge that we have these days right so i'm not enabling their behavior however things were a lot different back then and they did what they could. So, I mean, a lot of people are like, well, my parents, they didn't treat me properly and everything. And I get it. However, it's not, a, not just your parents are sitting there in the <laughs> care home. There are other people's loved ones who are wonderful, like human beings. And I don't know. I just, I guess people just really don't see it as, as them being people. That's right. Cause people, yeah. they're just numbers and statistics every mm. day that Dr. Brent Rusin is like, spewing right so that's all it feels like but it's it's real people when you're actually in it and i've worked at some of the outbreak facilities and some of those numbers that he's calling are the people that i was holding their hands while they're dying because their family weren't allowed to come into the outbreak facilities so um it's just it's different when you're looking at it from that sense that's all and Uh, not a lot of people see it like that Mm -hmm. how how is it being Someone in it, dealing with it on in different facilities across the province, dealing with different issues and different people. Um, how is it hearing the public messaging coming from whether the government or from healthcare professionals, etc.? Um, how, how is that for you to hear how they're talking about it? Um, well, for me personally, I guess I'm in a very unique position because I work privately mm-hmm. and I'm also an employer. So um, when when these facilities call my company to say, we really need staff, they're not calling for nurses. They're calling for healthcare aides mm-hmm. because healthcare aides, we're in such close contact that we're the ones who are getting sick too. So when 
um, they're announcing the numbers for um, all the healthcare professionals, like para- and they break it down, paramedics, nurses, and they say staffing support, that big chunk of staffing support, a majority of them are healthcare aides. So we are the ones that I just feel like, like, yeah, they're pressing all, they're pushing all of the rules and the guidelines for the communities. However, they're not putting the protections in place for us personally Mm -hmm. to go to work, especially working privately. Um, There were times where I went to some of the facilities and they didn't have proper um, masks. And then they were asking my staff and me to go into a COVID positive room without an N95 mask. And I was like, no, I'm sorry. (laughs) I still have the right to refuse safe, unsafe work like you guys. Mm -hmm. Just because we are private contractors doesn't mean you can just come and shove us into the rooms and then if you think about it, it we're going from place to place. So you want to try to keep us away from COVID positive residents because <laughs> yeah. we're the ones going from, not that we're not, af- like, we're not afraid to do it. We're in outbreak facilities right now. Um, but it's just, when I think about it, it doesn't make sense. Like, I feel like the way things are right now is very chaotic. And um, I just don't feel like the government themselves planned enough for the second wave and it it hit us too hard. So yeah. um, not only were they already dealing with the staffing issues regardless, right? Um, but now people are having to be forced to go home to wait for their test results so they can't go to their shifts. So now p- extra people are working doubles and you can only work a double shift and they can't make you stay any longer. Right. So if they don't have anybody, then there's nobody. Yeah. And um, with the the issue with the media stepping in, and trying to push the agenda um, for nonprofit care, um, I totally, I'm totally behind. Not, I don't like for-profit care and care homes. I don't think that it should be there. However, the push from the media made it so hard to staff those facilities because people were terrified to go in. For so sure. we, I, we couldn't find people to go into these facilities. So people were dying because we couldn't find people to go in. And it had nothing to do with neglect and negligence in that sense. It just, there was not enough people because yeah. people were afraid to go to those facilities. So in, on that point, for so sure. you're saying there's there's not-for-profit care homes and then for-profit ones? Is that is that what that means? Yeah. So like... um. Hmm. There are ones that are run um, run by the government and there are ones that are private for-profit care homes. So like uh, depending on what your uh, budget is oh, okay, for yeah. what you can afford monthly, that's where you go for care, right? And certain facilities um, cost more. So they have more amenities for pe- to keep people safe. They have bigger spaces. They have, you know, and depending on your wage um, or how much you can afford, um, this isn't the case for all, but I mean, it is the case, unfortunately, but it, it costs money to be in these care homes. Yeah. So if you don't have money, then you're going to go to a care home that you get put into a double room or something. And there's not adequate spacing because no one's planning for a pandemic, <laughs> um, in, in times like this right now, because we are struggling to find placements for, um, our senior population. It, it, there are people waiting placements in hospitals right now for beds in personal care homes because there are no places for them to go. And that's right. 
that that's where the bigger issue is, right? And it's like there's not enough places um, that are adequately ventilated, adequate, but that are supposed to be care homes that are care homes right now, if that makes yeah. sense. Yeah, that does. Great. Because yeah. some places were like old, old apartment buildings, you know, like um, they weren't designed to be care homes. So that's yeah. why some of the places are hit harder um, than others because they just it, – it, the design flaws, there's so many different factors, right? And it depends on how many people are in the facility who wander around, right? <laughs> they yeah. walk around from place <laughs> to place. Then the we're not a, we're not there to hold their hands because we're in a room with somebody else to keep them away from COVID positive people. Then there's, you know, it's just there's so many factors that I think people, just the general population just doesn't actually consider when it yeah. comes to that. So, um, with the whole government not supplying proper masks, that was huge because we are in close contact and I just didn't understand. And I even asked, I said, can my staff personally, can I mask my staff with the same mask that the paramedics wear and I will pay for everything and they'll, they will take care of it. And we weren't allowed to do that because it's just, it wasn't in the rules. So <laughs> the paramedics are allowed to do that. Hmm. But us as private contractors, we have to go in and rely on whatever's in that facility. So if they don't have proper masks, I just tell my staff, don't do it then. Let How does their that make sense? That's ridiculous. That seems very strange. Yeah. yeah. Why wouldn't you want, if if me, Tom T, taxpayer, whatever, wants to spend more on something, then frankly, the government should be like, thank you. Yeah, please, please do. Have at her. Do whatever yeah. you like. How, how could... what? <laughs> I just like, and, and I, I brought that up in a meeting actually. And I said, I was like, can I staff my, my people or can I equip my people, my staff <laughs> with um, the same respirators that the paramedics use? And then there, they said that I couldn't because the um, paramedics get a different company or something that cleans those masks for them. But so we couldn't bring our own in, but I said, but can my staff, clean the masks in front of your staff after every shift and I'll pay them to stay there and clean it. <laughs> nope. Then they, they were like, we'll, we'll get back to you, but no one ever got back to me. So like, <laughs> um, when, when, like I said, look, we're not afraid to go in to help people because we have the skills to be able to do it. And we're, we're trained. Right. Um, and I feel as though like it, if it were a war and I was a soldier, then I would, I would be going on the front lines too, because that's what yeah. I signed up for. Right. Um, but I mean, I understand people have their own families to protect and stuff, but I just, like, like I said, the proper protection isn't there. And I feel as though, um, a lot of the government, um, employees and people who are actually employees of the hospital aren't able to say those type of things because they might lose their job. Right. And as private contractors, like I said, like we don't mind coming in to help. However, the equipment needs to be there. Mm-hmm. And if if it's not there, then we should be allowed to bring it in ourselves to protect ourselves and our family. You would think. 100%. Yeah. Do you think at this point, I mean, I don't know what the outbreak situations are like right now. I haven't checked recently. But, you know, like they did in Ottawa, a lot of the care homes and in Quebec and Ontario. Do you think bringing in the military to help out with some of these homes would be beneficial? And perhaps to do a overall report like they were doing over in Quebec and saying, these are the conditions. This is what's happening. That's kind of like an outside force coming in to do the checklist and be like, hey, this is the shit you got to fix and you got to do it now kind of thing. Yeah. Um, if it gets to that point, I honestly do think that it, it it needs to have an outside unbiased source come in because 
I have personally went to places and I am an unbiased um, source that comes in. And there have been times where somebody, because somebody's aggressive and they have dementia and they're a big, a big person or something, they may fight when you're trying to help them get washed up. Right. Mm -hmm. So, um, as a healthcare worker, you have the right to refuse unsafe work. So if that person's punching you, then you have the right to not give them a bath or you have the right to not, you know, but how many weeks does that have to go on for, you know, somebody has to step in and be like, okay, the, the care needs to be done on this person. And I understand that he's being aggressive, but he still needs a bath, you know? And, and I remember walking into one facility and I looked through the paperwork and I was like, he hasn't had a bath since September. Oh, wow. And it was January. Wow. <laughs> so, and, and then when I brought, when I bring that up and I was like, I understand. However, you should be putting some type of, um, something on paper so that you can get some kind of medication to calm him down so that we can give him proper care and take care of him. Yeah. <laughs> and mm-hmm. then so immediately right away it was in that book. Um, but then I brought up other things and then that care home politely asked to not have my company back because I was bringing up all these issues <laughs> right. that they were, that they they were just trying to sweep under the rug. So, um, so then I would have to tell my staff, well, we're not going back there. (laughs) Uh, um, But it would make me really sad because like the regular employees would be telling me like, yeah, we've been trying to advocate for a long time and they just don't have the power because the money isn't there in the government funding to be able to supply certain things to, to give us certain supplies even before the pandemic. So, um, the government was making cuts before um, I would go to facility to facility and every facility was handling the cuts differently. So um, one facility would maybe change the brand of soap or one facility would maybe change, um, remove this type of um, brief or something. They would change something. Hmm. So it, it's it when the government cuts happen, it eventually falls down to the level of us and the care being provided because that's what's inevitably um affected so i yeah. don't know yeah <laughs> speaking of i just rambled about that I'm no sorry. that's great that's <laughs> all podcasting good. that's oh, all I'm we so do is ramble about it because it just bugs me like, yeah <laughs> i get you i don't understand why money has to be a thing when there are people literally nah people well, it's people because, matter more <laughs> it's because we have conservatives running the show that's why yeah um, capitalism <laughs> yeah, yeah no kidding it's all about the bottom line and the dollar and cutting costs and yet cutting services and never talked about speaking of which um a lot of people talk about uh or a lot of people that are trying to they're trying to um not deny but kind of downplay the impact of covid they like to say that no more people are dying or this year than any other year or the impacts on hospitals are exactly the same the icu is always just as full blah 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 blah. in your experience would you say there's any truth to that are you guys it sounds like you're more slammed than you were, but is are we wrong? Are they right? I don't know. Um, I'll just say this: um, that there was a weekend, and a in a week span, I think I got a call from seven different personal care homes, desperate for staff, like literally begging me, saying, "We'll do anything. Like we need anybody," mm. and those are care homes that I personally reached out to years ago to be like, Hey, I have a new company. 
this is my company. Um, and they all said no, because they don't rely on agency staff. So when, when facilities are calling agency staff to come in when they never relied on them to begin with, I think that there is an issue and that we are overburdened because where are the staff coming from? Like people don't understand, like we can run skeleton crews. However, it's, it's emotionally taxing on the workers. Um, it's physically taxing on us. Um, it's also the same for the patients and the residents because now there's not enough people. If someone needs to use the bathroom, they have to wait half an hour so that <laughs> someone can come and help them go to the bathroom because yeah. there's not enough staff. And so that's not, I don't think that that's right. You know, so, and some people can't physically hold it for a half an hour, you know, and there, there definitely isn't enough, um, staff. So I, yeah. And I brought that issue forward to the government saying like, you need to do something like there needs to be something done. And I brought forward, like, as unsaid as a healthcare aide, like, this is what I need, this, 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 they don't even need to be trained healthcare aides. All they need is just to be able to help me do certain things so yeah. that I like I need a partner for right mm-hmm. and then and then they released um that's a program with Red River College so <laughs> hallelujah they listened to me <laughs> um <laughs> so they're fast training a bunch of people who can be that support for the health aides who are doing 16-hour shifts and working alone when we shouldn't be working alone um so that we have that extra person there to make the clients feel safe and that's what it is because it's I'm listening to the clients and the residents and they're the ones who are telling me that they're scared. Every day somebody comes in, it's somebody different. Mm. They don't know. They have to every day explain, oh, this, you have to do this. You have to do that. That's, that's not living for them. You know, we need to get this under control in terms of how it's spreading in the community so that we can keep this, the care home safe with the staff that they are familiar with and comfortable with rather than having a bunch of strangers come in and just rushing to try to get everybody done because no long, we don't have eight people to take care of anymore. We have 15 or 20, you know? So Mm -hmm. like we're running around like crazy and things are, you know, and I just don't want it to happen to other care homes. So I want people to understand that it's actually an issue. Like it really is. And people are just aren't, are unable to talk about it because they could lose their jobs. And I'm afraid, am I going to lose my contract with the government? <laughs> but um, I, I don't know. I just, I feel as though this has been something that's been pre-pandemic. So it needs to be addressed. If it's any consolation, nobody important listens to this. You'll be okay. It's, it's fine. <laughs> <laughs> um, that sounds great. <laughs> yeah. Well, on some level maybe, but uh <laughs> I'm no, sure I, I totally can get find that. other things to do, yeah. but um, yeah, I just, I really, it, it bugged me so much that I really needed to just say something and bring it forward to the government and be like, okay, that's enough is enough because mm-hmm. how, how many times am I going to send my staff to work places that are short staffed themselves? So like, it, yeah, that's all. <laughs> it's like yeah. sending a regiment of troops out into the battlefield with no no bulletproof vests no no ammunition no nothing right you can't you can't expect anything to get done if you're if you don't have their proper stuff for it yeah, yeah. and we're not even allowed to bring it so <laughs> yeah um that that's the one thing that that bothers me is that like as a and and when i send my staff to places like literally this whole past couple months i don't sleep properly because i'm terrified that one of my staff members is going to get it 
going to get sick and it's going to, I'm going to feel so guilty because I'm their boss and I sent them there, you know? And like, and I, that's why I'm right there beside them. Like being like, I'm not just sending you here on your own. Like I'm here with you. Let's do this. Let's help take care of people. Um, and that's, yeah. So I just wanted to, can I just say like also too, like, I'm so proud of my staff. If my staff are listening or ever see this or listen or anything, I'm so proud of you. (laughs) You are all incredibly so brave and, um, you really make a difference in those people's lives. So I just want to say thank you so much for everything that you do. Shout out to them. Holla. Keep it up. Keep it up. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So. No, that's amazing. It definitely is a huge issue in care homes. So I and I know that I ramble. I just I get so passionate about it, and it's just been something that I've <laughs> I've I've seen for years. So it's not just it's just it's just been amplified in the last month or so because sure. of the issues, right? There's no for shame sure. in that. We say it all the time, right? Like you have to have someone brave enough to talk about it, or else it's just not going to get out there, and then people won't know, and it's just going to keep getting worse and worse. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and like, and that's what I I want it. I don't want to come at it and be like malicious and be like, Oh, the government's like whatever. But no, like you actually, they they just need to see that this is actually a priority. And when these cuts are happening, these cuts may just look like numbers on paper to them, but in the real world, it's affecting people's lives. So I wish that they can see it a little bit more. I wish that some of these politicians could come in right with us and help us um, feed people and help us, you know, like, but they're not, they're the ones, they're not actually seeing it they're advocating on that level to the media for the public, but they're just advocating for everybody. Right. Um, I just feel as though not many people actually see what it's like. So, but come on, Brian Pallister was crying on video. That means he's really caring guys. He's stealing Christmas (laughs) from us. (laughs) I'm the man that needs to do it. You're welcome. I'm the man for the job. You don't have to like me. Boo. Yeah. And you're all a bunch of idiots, so listen to me. Yeah. Yeah, and you don't you don't have to believe in COVID because COVID believes in you. <laughs> that's my favorite. <laughs> that sounds like a great uh, yeah, yeah um, that's the slogan yeah, for just, the for the pandemic. I can't, I, I can't believe I actually watch the press releases like every day because mm-hmm. I I'm in it right. I'm watching and just some I everything's on repeat. I feel. And I feel like it's just the same things over and over. However, it's like, why aren't people listening? Yeah. <laughs> like, I just, um, like, I get it. And it just, it feels like it's just the media back and forth. Like, oh, this per they're making it about politics and not about the healthcare system. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I feel like that's what a lot of the issue is. It's like, it shouldn't be about politics right now. Sorry. Um, no, put right. the political agenda aside. You guys should all be coming together to collectively use your strengths as leaders to be like, how can we protect the people? But it just feels like everything's just still bickering and still arguing and still all these things. So I don't know. I guess uh, I just see things differently in that sense. No, you're not wrong. That's what we should be going for. But frankly, I I don't know if it's unfair to say that that this current government doesn't really like being critiqued or or taking outside help or or input. Um, That's whatever that's that's what it feels like at least that that um it's hard to come yeah. together when when the ones in power don't aren't even willing to to listen to the people below them yeah and i feel like that's that's the issue like you can come at them with all the evidence in the world backing up your claims but they're still gonna say nope <laughs> <laughs> yeah exactly 
and do what get they your want. evidence out of here. Get researchers. They went to school for yeah. eight years. Get out of here. <laughs> you know, <laughs> scientists. No. Uh, no. Yeah. Little epidemiologists. No way. Nothing. No. Yeah. <laughs> That's all. Like, I just think it's like I laugh about it because if I don't laugh about it, I'm gonna cry about it. Yeah, <laughs> it's I get like something that it's like I can't. It doesn't. There was no more of a helpless feeling than getting phone calls from all of those personal care homes saying how desperate they were, and I'm like, um, me and my little staff of like five people. I'm like, <laughs> yeah, like <laughs> we can't do. We can't help everybody, and like yeah. I felt so helpless. And I reached out to literally every single person I've ever met who is a healthcare prov- provider. And I was like, would you come and help with us? And they were like, nope, because of the media <laughs> yeah. and how the media, you know, like, and I understand, but like, it's, it's terrifying people to go to these facilities that aren't terrifying on the inside. So people aren't getting the care. So th- it's actually probably adding to the death pole because people aren't getting proper care. And yeah. they're not. I can't say that for a fact. Yeah, yeah but it, it all seems. <laughs> right. to, but I just from yeah. from what I see, that's all. It, it makes sense. And I can't see it being any different. Like there needs to be more people. Yeah, you knew it was getting bad because I think was it in Winnipeg where they saw one of the homes put out like a volunteer request form for people's families to come in mm-hmm. to help. Like you sign this waiver saying you know you're coming into a hot zone and please come help. Like you know it's getting bad when you're reaching out to regular civilians to come help yeah and that's what i said too and i said i said you can't be asking for volunteers for this you need to pay people Mm -hmm. and then i said i was like what about all the people who are struggling right now to find jobs ask them right now hey do you want to come and help feed people Mm -hmm. we'll pay you uh what what was your wage before okay let's match your wage and give you danger pay come on you know like but no (laughs) it just doesn't seem like there's any action whatsoever on that and then all they're doing is just relying on us as the the private staffing companies to be the ones to find those people so um i just feel like they're pushing a lot of it onto us and and i and i understand i mean i'm probably they probably have so many more things to they need to on their plate that they're trying to see what they can offload. However, we're not, I honestly don't, I know as much as the public does and I'm in it as a business owner and sending my staff in. And that's scary because I have to try to keep up on my own with everything that they're posting online and um, everything on the, the press so that my staff are informed because they're not even informing us totally. So, um, that's all. It's just been, um, I guess from the aspect from our point of view, it's been very hectic and like, and then and then we get um, there's something something now that we're, <laughs> we're starting to coin the term like uh, COVID stigma because um, we would go to these facilities that had COVID and technically we're allowed to go and work at other places, but I would always reach out to the managers and say, hey, we were here, um, just letting you know how do you feel about us coming to work at your facility. And they all say no. So we're stuck working at the facilities with outbreaks. And my team's great because my team is like, you know what? That's what we're here for. Let's do it. So I'm so grateful for them. However, if I had a team that had health issues or something, I couldn't send them to work now because (laughs) just small things like that. Like, I don't know, just random little things that, I don't know, it's making it really hard for healthcare workers to go to work. That's all. And it's just like... Go ahead. Sorry. 
No, 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 no. Go. Do I'm you guys get that. access to the rapid testing kits like the healthcare workers in the hospitals do? Yeah, um, I've been just sending my staff saying, "You go, and you are a healthcare <laughs> worker. You yeah. go, and you say you are working at Elbrick facilities. Here is my name tag, and that's it. And they they haven't had an issue. I've only had uh, I've been tested because I got really sick once, and um, and I had two other people who were tested, but we all came back negative because we wear proper protection, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's that's key, and that's what the government isn't giving us is proper protection all around. <laughs> but right. um, uh, yeah, no, I just feel as though, yeah, we do have access to it. So that is great, and I'm really grateful for that because when when it was before, I didn't have access to it, so I had to wait like the general public. So I'm off work wondering if for like a week almost I had, I had to wait for my test results. So for a whole week I could have been back at work. So, yeah. and I really do think that the rapid testing is, is going to be a huge benefit to the healthcare staff because now we're not waiting three to four days to find out, right. We're, we're only waiting. Um, what is it? Six hours now is one of the rapid places that, right. can, yeah, that's like insane. So that's yeah. really great. And for the people who are at the high risk places like the ICU, who are the ones who are inc- um, like doing all the intubation and like keeping them like alive, they're mm-hmm. the ones who need to be there because they have the skills necessary to be there. And, you know, you can't learn those skills overnight. So you, you need they need to have those testings in place for those specific um, people with those qualifications to keep them safe. Right. And to make sure that they're back at work as soon as possible. For sure. For sure. Yeah. As as we'll move on a bit, but uh, I, I think it's it's fair to say that yeah, most people are tired of the the constant barrage of of COVID news. It starts to become just white noise, and nobody listens to it anymore. And you know, some numbers might change, and some of the restrictions might change, but overall, it's just a cloud of dread. Um, so most people are starting to avoid it, which isn't helpful. But I think it's important to discuss kind of the mental health side of it, and um, when you first reached out to us, that was partly kind of one of the things. It was in response to our James Fable episode, um, which definitely touches on a lot of of mental health and and trauma and such. Um, so COVID is definitely affecting people's mental health. Um, but uh, I don't know if you want to touch on your experiences with that, kind of how all that mixes together. Uh, yeah. So um, before, like when the whole pandemic started, it was like middle March. Right. Um, mm-hmm. and they put restrictions in place, um, so that we can only work specific places. So I had to start picking up shifts that were like random and I don't, I don't normally pick up like, um, so I started picking up shifts that were suicide watches and there were a lot of them that started popping up. Like as soon as the pandemic hit and everyone was in lockdown for that first time, the amount of people trying to access mental health services was like, it was nuts. And so, um, there was actually a few people that I went to and I would, I would just be the person that they sit with and talk to. Um, there was one person who was in the hospital for five days waiting for somebody who was a trained mental health professional to come and speak with her so that she can get released from the hospital from a suicide watch. So, you know what I mean? Like so the mental health supports are not there. It takes a really long time for people to even access anything whatsoever. And as soon as um, the pandemic hit, it, that became very apparent, right? Because therapists and everything, you 
you see those people face to face. So a lot of people weren't set up for the virtual care as they are now. And I feel as though um, I wish that there would be more people who um, can set up virtual care and they can hire more therapists for right now because it's not just like the general public that needs help like with mental health services. Like I'm seeing it in the staff. Like the government needs to take care of the people right now on the front lines. And I don't feel as though they're getting taken care of. They're getting burnt out. So instead of, you know, when, when they could have probably just talked to a therapist and got some stuff out, instead they take like a whole week off from stress leave or something, you know, like um, just, just a lot of things like that. And there's a lot of people, a lot of the calls that I was going to were suicide attempts and it like just made me really sad and it just was really eye opening because it was like, wow, I didn't go to a lot of these before the pandemic hit. And then they were few and far between, right? Like they happen. There's always people for suicide watch, but I mean, for how many shifts that I personally got, it was, um, it was kind of eye opening and really, it's actually really sad because they told me a lot of like their problems were like financial and, yeah. um, they were going to end their life because they couldn't afford rent. Like, yeah, I just, that's, that's not something that's a long-term issue. That's a right now issue. And people are going to end their lives because of that. I just, yeah, it was really eye opening. And this whole working through this whole pandemic, I've just experienced so many different things and I've just seen so many things within the healthcare system that really need a change. And the pandemic just, highlighted everything that was wrong within it so um yeah. i hope after everything's settled that they start to look at these issues and be like okay well it was an issue during a pandemic so it must be an issue before so how can we fix it um i just really wish that they can look at stuff like that because um i feel as though a lot of the people who are accessing the mental health services were indigenous so i yeah. think that's what upsets me the most is because I'm indigenous. I was born and raised in the North end of Winnipeg. I have overcome my fair share of barriers to get to where I am right now to be able to employ people. And, and I just feel as though like there aren't enough, there aren't enough supports in place for the youth right now for what they're experiencing and what they're going through. And um, yeah, it just really shed light onto it. And I don't know, it just made me really sad because a lot of the times I was going to the suicide were for Indigenous people. So, Yeah. Yeah, I mean, that's not a surprise, unfortunately, especially in this province, in that there's, in many cases, the simplest solution is money. You know, whether or not that's paying for rent or having enough money for food or, or, or childcare or medicine or anything, it's just we don't have enough access for people to to get out of whatever they're in. Um, and yeah. again, like you said, if you're on the verge of suicide because you can't pay your rent, that should be the easiest fucking thing to solve. Like there should yeah. be, you know, the, the government just signs a check for a thousand bucks. All right, your rent's covered for a month or two or whatever, wherever you're living. Yeah. And, and, and now's are, the time to get that money out because yeah. no one gives a shit about the budgets right now. Nobody yeah. should spend, 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 get it all done now while you have a reason to spend. And then mm-hmm. if you want to fight about it later, that's a different thing. But like right now, like you said, people are dying because they can't pay their rent and, and it, it's sad. Yeah. yeah. And, and that's like, people don't actually put, I feel as though these are just statistics, right? People mm-hmm. don't actually put people behind these numbers and 
Um, suicide cases are just the same. I feel like they're just statistics. They don't look at like what that person was going through or how they were trying to provide for their family and they just couldn't do it anymore. And, you know, like um, things like that, like, yeah, I just, it makes me very sad. So, and it's not, yeah, it's, it's super common. Um, and no matter what side of the political spectrum you're on, um, it's totally true to say that conservative governments typically they cut costs they cut taxes they try to make smaller government because they that they see that as the issue whereas or, or then they try and battle things in a short-term way like like uh, whether it's indigenous issues or um, substance abuse or or anything of that type of stuff it's all very at the source or, or at the person as opposed to trying to solve anything underneath which involves or which requires a lot of money and a lot of supports and a lot of people, but to them, they want to solve it today instead of uh, putting the money into it underneath, solving the problem so that it might take a decade for any of this to work. But if you cut the funding today, that will never happen. <laughs> it's 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 a, just a, a function of, of conservative government is sort of how it works. Yeah, and that's that's exactly what it is. And I was watching um, one of the press releases from the federal government, and they were saying, like, they were talking about how the trend was going to be up uh, in December, so the provincial governments need to get their their ducks in a row, right? And they literally said, don't worry about the cost. Yeah, We will cover it. And they said yeah. it on the press release. So it's like, why is Brian Pallister still d- cutting things like cancer care and cutting these these things that people need and and like he thinks that cutting these services is going to make our province better however cutting these services actually is going to make it worse and we're actually seeing it make it worse like people are struggling with poverty and poverty is like the number one social determinant of health so whether you can afford a place to live whether you are safe whether you can afford food um you know like clothing it, like we live in a harsh environment we need to make sure that people have their basic needs met and i feel as though the way that the government is spending right now is or the cutting things right now is that people's basic needs aren't being met um before i was i ran this company um i used to do safe rides so i was a safe ride driver because i used to just all the women who were going missing, um, I wanted to make sure that they got home safe. So I would do that for volunteer money and they would just pay me whatever they had. Right. Um, and I saved my money and put it towards my company. But like, as I was driving these people and I started having regulars, like I was a taxi, but it was like taxi cab confessions because people were (laughs) telling me about how their struggles are and how, um, she's like, I remember this one mom, she was saying how, She's just really happy that she can put food on the table for her kids tonight. And I said, oh, that's really great. What are you having? She's like, minute rice. Hmm. And I was like, just minute rice. That's a meal. But that's their meal, right? And that's not adequate enough to be able to give the proper nutrition to growing children. Mm -hmm. So they're not going to have the basic nutritions to grow into healthy adults, you know, like we need to start from the bottom. Like, I just don't understand. Like researchers have come out and said how important childhood development is. And yet Brian Pallister is still cutting even education costs. So it's like, um, you're only going to make it worse. Brian Pallister. I'm sorry, but like (laughs) as somebody who grew up in the North end and who's lived there and who's, that's my home. 
And I actually don't feel safe anywhere else, to be honest, because I get systemic racism from like, I am, I, I can honestly say this. I have white privilege in the terms of like, I do, uh, sorry, I just got a phone call. I do. I like, I have, um, white privilege in the term that I don't look full indigenous. However, when people find out that I'm indigenous, they say really horrific things and, or like, um, Oh, well, you're one of the good ones or you're one of this. And it's like, that's happening in the healthcare system too. And it's like, no, you don't say that, but no, no. (laughs) And like, so like I'm seeing all these issues and like working in it, like systemic racism is so deeply embedded within our healthcare system that I just, it, it bugs me sometimes to go to work. I would used to have, I used to have panic attacks sometimes to go to certain places because of how the staff treated indigenous clients. And, um, because I don't look indigenous, they didn't know. So I would Mm -hmm. see how they treat them. And Mm -hmm. I'm like, Oh my, it makes me sick. And then so like when the pandemic happened and we're all wearing masks, Oh man, I saw it even more because indigenous clients would come in with mental health issues and, immediately they would be treated like so poorly because they're coming in in a state of crisis and they're like nurses are already overworked so they're like i don't i'm not dealing with this uh-uh. and it's like they're in a crisis yeah i understand that you know you had a hard day and you don't want to get yelled at but it's a very visible mental health crisis mm-hmm. so when you respond back to somebody trying to come to a hospital to get help and they get response back with like hostility your nervous system is going to go through the roof right away because you're going to be like you're going to go in fight or flight mode because you're like i'm here for help and you're going to treat me like this you mm-hmm. know and like and, and it escalates and there's been times where i've sat back as a health grade like literally watching two people argue and it's escalating when it shouldn't have ever escalated to begin with to that point. And I'm like, how did this even happen? Yeah. And it just comes from people's unknown biases that they have deep within them, right? And or known biases. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. Some, some people actually don't. They <laughs> That same nurse who was yelling at that person, the, the, the next day she was talking about how she treats everybody so kindly and so fairly. Yeah. And I'm like, nope. <laughs> All right. Yeah. <laughs> Are you really? Just yeah, totally <laughs> blind to some it. Some people actually don't know that it's deep within them. So I, yeah. I'm seeing that. No, know? for sure. I think yeah. uh people of color in general um have always had a distrust of of healthcare systems and doctors and hospitals because sure. many, many times um the typically white doctors and systems would, you know, they would experiment on them or treat them like shit or not give them service at all or, you know, do terrible things. Um, so that's already a thing. So we need to move past that because even the stories recently, there was, what, two of them recently that got national coverage of indigenous, it was a woman, I think an indigenous man had come into a hospital. I believe one was I forget Quebec. One was I don't. I yeah, forget where they were. Jo- Joyce Eshawan, I th- I think her last mm. name is. I can't. I, I'm probably butchering her last name, but yeah, like Joyce. Joyce was the one from Quebec who was yeah. uh, live streaming herself as the nurses were exactly. talking poorly about her. Yeah. Yeah, and so it's not uncommon. But again, it's one of those things that a lot of people like to sweep under the rug, or like you say, it's it's just an Indian or something, right? That's what a lot of people would yeah. say, and that's not okay. Um, if if someone comes into the hospital, whether they're, you know, 
the prime minister's son or, you know, a kid on reserve or anybody, anybody, they should get the same level of treatment as far as I'm concerned, but that's not the case. But I hope that we continue, uh, improving i don't know if we are improving but i want us to improve (laughs) trying to improve for sure yeah yeah well like there are don't get me wrong like there are people who understand that these issues are there and Mm -hmm. they are very conscious about how they treat people and you can you can tell but there are other people who just don't they just don't believe that it's actually a thing because they don't they're so oblivious to the fact that they have all these underlying um biases within them right so like they just they don't see it the same way and uh that's all it's just i i really just think that it it just comes from i don't i don't know if it's not going to be addressed overnight obviously it's going to be something that's going to take years and years maybe even decades to get out of like our train of thought right so if you like with our brains like i don't know if you know about like like neuroplasticity if you keep Mm -hmm. doing something over and over you're going to get good at it, right? So if you keep (laughs) believing something over and over, well, you're going to have that belief in you, right? So like you have to purposely and actively retrain your brain to get out of those belief thoughts and those, those, you know, those cycles that you, that you're in with like habits and everything. So like you can actually do it. Like when people say, oh, you can't teach a dog or old dog new tricks. I'm like, yeah, you can. (laughs) (laughs) It might take a little bit longer. You just, you just, it takes a little longer. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. No, but, I think, yeah, yeah no. that's true. They, I, I think it's also important, it, it blends in over, or it blends over really well with um, Pallister's recent comments about vaccines and the federal government was going to allot a certain amount to indigenous communities because frankly, they've been hard hit. It's it's a fact. Um, and then he's talking about how it's not fair to uh, non-indigenous Manitobans, blah, 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 as, as though he... He made it pretty clear he seems to think that they're distinctly different Manitobans from the people um, on reserve and not. And I I don't don't know all the specifics, so I'm probably, you know, throwing stones when I shouldn't. But frankly, why not send them where they're most needed, whether or not it's Indigenous or not? And if they happen Mm -hmm. to need them, then they need them. I don't, it makes no difference to me. Yeah, and and honestly, like that whole comment, I remember watching it. I was like, "Oh, that's gonna cause issues!" Like, yeah. <laughs> and it blew up in the news. And um, it's because I guess the, pe- the general public doesn't understand that, like, technically, reserves are funded through the federal government, sure. right? So, but at the same time, they're still Manitoba citizens. They still yeah. live in Manitoba, and um, the reason why they are indigenous communities have to get those vaccines first is because they don't have access to healthcare the way that we have access to healthcare in Winnipeg here. Mm -hmm. Like they have to get some of those um, communities are fly out communities. Like you can only get there via plane. So if someone gets sick, it's so much easier for us just to ship a bunch, a box of vaccines there Versus to have the whole community have an outbreak like what's happening in Shimadawal right now, where, mm-hmm. you know, there's a thousand people in that community and a hundred and something people, I, I don't know the exact numbers, but are affected. That's 10% of their population. That's massive. Yep, and yep. people aren't actually understanding that, like, yeah, there's a reason why Indigenous populations have all these health um, ailments such as diabetes and stuff like that is because we don't have the same access to basics the way the rest of the Canadian population does, honestly. And yeah. 
I've I've seen it firsthand like even like being younger like going shopping with my mom and having people following us around the store and like to the point where my mom was just like, I'm not shopping here again so then we would just shop at the corner store where we didn't get racism but we also didn't get proper food because yeah. of it so um because my mom was trying to avoid racism you know or like you know we went to the corner store instead of big grocery stores because or you know like it's so deeply there like I said, it's, it's so, it's something that you have to, you have to, un, it's like an onion. You're going to have to just out, pull apart every layer and one address every layer as to yeah. why it's like that, you know, but no one's, everyone's just grouping everything together, but it's actually systemic from a bunch of different things. So like yeah. education from the justice system, from the healthcare system, from, yeah. So Everybody wants, quick quick fix. <laughs> yeah, everybody wants a quick fix. Canada's dirty little secret that nobody likes to talk about. Yeah. yeah and it's not even a well, good kept I, secret. <laughs> no, and it's not. And it's like the UN, I think, released a – somebody did like a report or a deep investigation about like the reports on the mur- missing and murdered Indigenous women and girls. And they were saying, yeah, it's a genocide. And mm. the, <laughs> the government's just like, oh, what? <laughs> <laughs> Oh, no, no. Put that under the rug. (laughs) Come on. (laughs) Yeah. I don't know. Like, I just, like, being an Indigenous person who grew up in it and uh, seeing my family struggle in ways that normal population doesn't have to struggle. Like, it was normalized to me growing up, like, how different and things were and poverty is. But um, it, it was normalized then. So, like, I guess seeing it now on the outside as, like, a fly in the wall and, like, hearing everybody else's stories i'm like no this isn't normal (laughs) this isn't normal way of life this is not this is a way of life that has been filled with trauma from the past generations so like you know like we need to address the issues deep down rather than just trying to mask them with antidepressants and anti-anxiety meds because that's how we feel our healthcare system is trying to deal with the issue that's not dealing with it so. No, you're dealing with the symptoms, not the not the cause. Yeah. And there, mm-hmm. speaking of trauma, you you had shared it. I saw Wob shared it. I'm going to read it here. Um, trauma in person, decontextualized over time, looks like personality. Trauma in a family, decontextualized over time, looks like family traits. Trauma in a people, decontextualized over time, looks like a culture. Uh, Re- Resma Menakim. I'm not sure if I pronounced that right, but it, it's totally true, right? It's easy to to just see it as as though that somehow represents everything that this person or people's or place is known for because that's all they know. And even then, the people there, um, that's all they've known as well. So it's how do you expose that, right? Like I've, I've heard a lot of indigenous um, kids that they talk, they sort of make the jokes that white kids make, but as though... It's a, it, as though it's funny without actually acknowledging that it's not, you know, if that, if that makes any sense. Um, yeah. So it's and, hard to hear. Yeah. No, I, I totally, that's exactly it. And I was actually talking to my friend, of, a friend of mine about this. She's incredibly intelligent. She has three degrees. She's a teacher. She's, she's incredible. And we were talking about this and saying how um, the indigenous population, like if you ever have like uh, indigenous friends, like we're always cracking jokes and we're making mm-hmm. making light of everything. And I like really sat down and thought about it. And I was like, the funniest people that I know have experienced the, the harshest stuff in their life. And 
and you just think about it it's like you know and then that's why I shared that because that's exactly what it is because like I think about my family and like how we're all so similar and how you know like oh that's that's the people's family or that's the weeb family or that's the whatever family it's it's not just the fact that like trauma happens in in every family regardless right however it is so much more in indigenous populations because that trauma from residential schools and the 60s scoop is still lingering right Mm -hmm. and people think that it was very long ago um however it wasn't because like my mother was a part of the 60s scoop and she was raised in foster homes that were not good for her and Mm -hmm. her and she was the protector of all of her siblings so i mean like how that affected her as a child not getting the emotional support that she needed affected my childhood and it wasn't until literally this year I was like oh my gosh I'm right in it too like (laughs) that's why I'm the way that I am and I started to unravel things and it was like oh I'm like this because that happened to me oh my gosh and then so like you know when you start to like really unwrap it it's like both eye-opening and incredibly sad at the same time because you see these traits in so many of the people that I love. And I'm like, yeah. And I know their stories. I know what happened to them. And it's the most, some of the most horrific things that I've ever heard has happened to some of my family members and friends because we live in the North End. And the way, um, I guess, the communities view it around, it's like, oh, don't go to the North End. Don't go to the North End. Yeah. But, like, I get it. However... Like I said, I, I've never had an issue walking around the North End ever. I've never had an issue. There's a sense of community. People smile at each other. But when I go to like South End or something, I lived in a different area and I hated it there because I would walk around and people would be snarling at me, people. And it's like, wow, I don't belong here. And uh-huh. then so like as an indigenous person, you grew up in the North End. So you're going out and you're trying to explore the world, trying to be like, I'm going to achieve my dreams and <laughs> and then you go out there and then people are treating you that way and you're like, oh, uh, what the fuck? Yeah. <laughs> Pardon my yeah. language. Yeah. But it's like, you're like, you, you wonder what's wrong with me? Yeah. Why are all of these people looking at me that way? What did I do? You know, and then you start to conceptualize something's wrong with you and that you're bad. And that you're the problem because mm-hmm. that's how it works when you're a kid, right? You don't have a lot of guidance. So that's what I want to just stand up for Indigenous youth out there. Like there are people who are going to, you know, shit all over you for trying to achieve, trying to pursue your dreams. But it has nothing to do with you. It has everything to do with them and the fact that they weren't able to do it. And they see somebody who they were told shouldn't be achieving anything and they see them achieving something it like makes them feel something on the inside and they just have to attack you yep. so that's what it's like yeah. and 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 even just trying to build this company the reason why i i stopped and i just i changed my direction of how i'm going to build it is because of all of it's a man's world out there when you're a <laughs> business owner and if you're a young younger female indigenous business owner I've experienced so much racism from uh, accounting firms, from um, business advisors, from like these men telling me that I'll never achieve anything. So like I never, I ended up just stopping, not trying anymore. 
And that's mm-hmm. what the issue is. Other people telling you, you can't do it. You can't do it. And eventually you say, well, this is just, this is just who I am. Yeah, I guess you I know? can't. And that's, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's the issue. And that's why that post resonated so much with me is because like when I was in um, high school, <laughs> my, I made a joke in the library and I made everybody laugh. And then my high school principal pulled me aside and he was like, um, pulled me into the library, the back room. And he stood in front of the door and he like slammed the door and he was like, what are you doing? And I was like, what are you talking about? And he's like, why are you making, why are you laughing? You guys are being so loud. And I was like, uh, well, I just made a funny joke. Right. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, so we're just laughing about it. Sorry. You know, um, we're working on a project and then <laughs> we were the only ones in the library and he like gave me shit. And then he was like, I don't even know why you try so hard. You're just going to end up like a bum on main street, like the rest of them. Oh. And like, that was my vice principal. And wow. it's like, wow. And then I, I started to skip a lot after that. Yeah. And uh, so I didn't really, I was a really good student too. So like I was trying really hard to get like all the awards so that I can put myself through university. And yeah, and it was just, it's, it's a whole systemic thing. It's not just the healthcare system. It's literally everywhere. And we all need to have these stories heard so that mm-hmm. we can be like, oh, that's actually a person who had something happen to them, but they overcame it. And that's why I guess I just wanted to like bring it forward and be like, you, it hurts a lot and you may feel so um, like your life doesn't matter or anything, but you'll get through it. And it's just that temporary, you know, that little time and you'll eventually get over it. So it all ties back to the whole mental health thing with the suicide watch. Right. So I don't know. I just, it's all tied together. I think so, thank yeah, you for letting me talk about that. Not a lot of people yeah. see it from that point of view and they don't hear the stories. So I, I just hear it from not only volunteering, but like um, I just hear it from not only volunteering, but also from um, just working with my company. So it just, yeah, it's, for sure. it's so normalized to me that it's like when I see it on the being talked on the news, it's like, Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. Sell some more news. <laughs> But they're yeah. not actually, they're not actually dealing with the issues. It just seems like everyone's just arguing back and forth rather than working collectively. That's all. Yeah, and we're, yeah. we're you know, we again, we're both white. We have privileges <laughs> that we didn't know that we had, and that we currently still have. Like for instance, um, a friend of ours has been on the show before. She's indigenous, married to a white guy, and she said she goes into a store by herself. And she gets followed around or subtly. Everybody's sort of like, oh, can I help you? Or, you know, they're, they're always keeping an eye on her. But when she goes with her husband, it's fine. It's like, oh, you have uh, your white guardian there. You must be, uh, you know, on the good side or whatever. And it's mm-hmm. that type of shit that <laughs> I hate. And frankly, we're in a community where that's not uncommon. Um, yeah. But I think it's important, as we say, to spend our privilege cards, as Randy and I have, um, to try and get these messages out because it's, it's so it's so pervasive and and so many people for some reason don't believe that systematic and systemic racism is a thing or that white privilege is a thing and i'm like do you are you alive like do you walk around how do you how can you say that um but that's why like getting stories like that out i mean it's as harsh as it is or as traumatic as it's been uh props to you and and your family and everybody for acknowledging it and and we got to try and how do we how do we move forward if we don't move right <laughs> it's it's hard yeah exactly like uh oh there was a saying where it's like um oh i can't remember it's something about um 
uh, if you're on fire, run or something like that. Don't just stay still, right? So, yeah. like, right now we're on fire. We shouldn't be staying still. We need to be pushing forward with this movement and we need to continue to, you know, like, before the whole, like, COVID happened, like, there was a lot of, like, fighting for Indigenous rights and that was mm-hmm. a lot of the stuff that was in the news, right? And then COVID hit. So, like, that stuff's still going on. People are still fighting for their rights. However, it's not covered in the media anymore because it's all COVID, right? And I feel as though that's... a Unfortunately, that's what I actually notice in care homes is people tend to get their news from the same source. Mm -hmm. So if you're only getting your news from the same source all the time, then what you're not fully informed as to what's going on. Right. So um, that's actually something that I learned working with the older population is they had their dedicated news channel and they only listened to that run anchor that they they love. (laughs) But it's like and I. And I remember one time I said, I was like, yeah, but what if he tells you something wrong? Are you just going to believe him? <laughs> we were like having a, like, like an honest discussion about it before. And she was like, what do you mean? <laughs> she just didn't understand that media could sell like, <laughs> yeah. like misinformation. So I was just like, oh, yeah, okay. Well, he, yeah, he has a nice tie. <laughs> she would say like, he's so handsome. That's why I watch him. <laughs> oh, yeah. And I'm like, oh, yes. <laughs> That's how yeah, they that's, get you. <laughs> that's why we have we're on the radio or we're, do we do podcasts because we have uh, faces for radio, so we're gonna avoid the actual news because none of the old ladies are gonna be heart throbbing over me and Randy. So that's why I chose podcast too. Like if I were ever, if I were to ever do something, I would do a podcast too because I have a face for radio too. <laughs> no, 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 it's fine. Oh, it's so um, funny. But that's. You should start a podcast. So we're, we're going to be like Joe Rogan and just tell everybody to start a podcast and get get the stories out. Get the get yeah. The, the more people talk about it, the better it's going to get for everybody. Yep. Yeah, I actually was thinking about that. I was thinking about starting a podcast to uh, bring about some of the stories that I've heard. And yeah, it's just you know hearing some of the stories and hearing what some of these people have been through. It's like, well, no wonder why you turn to substances because I wouldn't be able to handle that. Yeah. And they don't have the supports, like some horrific stuff happened to them. And okay, wait, I just want to say one thing here. One person that I did say that I did meet um, when I was working at one of the hospitals. He was a volunteer firefighter and arrived at the scene at the Humboldt bus crash. Oh, wow. Yeah. So I ran into him and I was working with him and he was so upset. And then I asked him, he, he kept calling for the nurses and the nurses were like, oh, just let, let him, just let him. And then so I sat there with him and I said, like, why, why do you want to meet the nurses all the time? Like, why do you keep calling for the nurses? And there he, all he wanted was just to talk. So I listened to him for like, I think it was about a half an hour. And he talked about how horrific it was and how he couldn't get the screams out of their head, like out of mm. his head from the bus crash. And I was like, he went there as a fire, like a volunteer firefighter to help save these people and mental health supports aren't in place for our first responders. And I also asked one of our, um, one of the paramedics that I was uh, doing an appointment shift with. So like they, if they don't have the proper machines to do scans for like cancer or whatever you're dealing with, they'll send you to Winnipeg. Right. Right. So um, I was with the, in the ambulance with the paramedic and we were talking and then I asked him, I was like, you must see a lot of really crazy things as a paramedic, right? And he's like, yeah, I do. And, and I asked him, I was like, what are the um, supports put in place for paramedics and first responders for in terms to um, mental health? And he said that there are none. <laughs> no. So um, 
I think that that's an issue because if you're seeing horrific things all the time, I don't, it doesn't matter if you're a first responder to the scene or if you're experiencing it, it's still traumatic. And those traumas will still stay within you regardless of what your skin color is. Yep. Um, so I, I feel as though just like there needs to just be more support in terms of mental health, especially for right now. And with the, like with COVID it's showing, like I can see you on my phone right now, you know, like, you can create safe places for people to seek therapy, you know, um, in a more accessible way. Like it's so, it's like this, this whole situation has shown us that we can actually really change the way our whole systems are because we, I remember I brought forward, I said, why can't we have more, um, video lectures? It would be so much easier if I can study from home and not have to like bus an hour and a half to the U of M to go to school. Yeah. And they said, it's not possible. <laughs> so like this, you know, like, and then back in the day, so like um, when I was in the U of M and then it's like, so now it's like, it's totally possible. Like, could you imagine now we can implement technology into education and not, we can access, um, we can get people educated who may not have had those resources to be educated now with technology. So, I mean, we should be using this time to, like reframe how we're going to move forward in life mm-hmm. because we're obviously seeing that there's issues now. So how are we going to move forward and change it? For the well, everything's going so. to be thrown on its head and shifted and, and whether it's work and, and jobs and healthcare and everything, everything people are realizing we can do things differently. And Absolutely. I hope that that's for the good. So anyway, yeah. we should uh, start dialing it down here. Um, <laughs> let's good. see. Um, is, do you have anything you want to, other than obviously we, we touched on shout outs to your, to your staff and your coworkers, is there any, um, websites, social media, any other accounts you want to want to plug? Um, maybe I'll just, uh, I, I'll just plug my, my business website. It's not up as of right now, but it will be like tonight or tomorrow. <laughs> Perfect. But, um, this will, this will come out in a week or so, so. Oh, perfect then. Uh, so the uh, at the website address is cherishhealthservices.ca. Perfect. And there will actually be a link. So um, if you are interested in somebody, like if you want to go and come and help out at the care homes and you're interested in coming to help um, feed people and help um, the staff like us uh, with our regular duties, feel free to send me a resume and like I can help you get involved um, to help you know, protect people. So um, there's also that too. Um, if you're struggling financially right now, just talk to me. And we, I'll see if I can get you involved somehow so we can help that way. Um, yeah, I just want to say thank you guys for all that you do. Like you know, uh, bringing awareness to a lot of issues that, you know, people don't normally think about. And uh, just having that discussion is enough to be like, get the hamster wheel rolling for some people, you know? I hope so, so. I really appreciate all that you guys do too. <laughs> oh, it's nothing. It's nothing. No, we're <laughs> we're pretty low in the totem pole as far as important things go, but I'm glad that we can try and move, especially since <laughs> when we started this whole thing, it was just me and Randy in his basement shooting the shit. We're just and being goofs basically. Yeah, and my uh my neurotic head has things bouncing around in it a lot. So that's sort of <laughs> that's just me vomiting it out into the world. So I'm glad that it's made some impact. Well, it definitely does. And honestly, creativity is how you stay young in the mind. So keep yeah. being creative. Yeah. <laughs> and keep keep shedding light on everything. So I really Sounds appreciate good. it. Uh, <laughs> so th- yeah, <laughs> thank you for joining us 
Jess. It was great. Um, I hope you guys stay safe. Keep working hard, um, doing what you can. Yeah, thank you for all the work you do. Absolutely, mm-hmm. for uh, keeping people safe and healthy, and uh, you know, helping. Yeah, for sure. uh, thank you. I I thank my staff more. They're they're out there more than I am. I'm stuck doing a lot of the paperwork, so I I get out there when I can. But it's mostly them. So Perfect. they're the they're the all stars, <laughs> and everyone else who's working on the front lines right now. Honestly, you guys are heroes, and you all deserve a five month vacation after this is over. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. <laughs> Empty uh, hospitals. Nobody's. nobody's yeah, we're all done. Sick. We're all healthy now. <laughs> yeah, just put them out to pasture. Um, yeah. Okay. But thanks again, Jess. This was great. Um, okay. Thank hopefully, you. Uh, yeah, stay Take safe. Care. <laughs> See you. Bye. Okay. Okay. All right. It's uh, it's the two idiots. Right her. 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 Um. Yeah. Okay. So thank you for listening, folks. You should definitely check out that website. Cherish Health Services. Cherish Health Services. Um, they're doing some some good work out there, and they could use some support as well, especially with our uh, personal care home issues. So, yeah, okay. So, find us on social media on Instagram at Two Idiots Podcast. On Facebook, search for the Two Idiots Podcast. On Twitter, we're Two Idiots Show, and on YouTube, search for Two Idiots Podcast and look for our logo. Or hard to miss. And by email, doubledeatspodcast at gmail.com. Send us your, anyone you think might be a guest, any comments, questions, anything you'd like to send to us, send it to us. We'll read it. And uh, you can also go to patreon.com slash podcast and sign up there if you'd like to help support the show. We start from as little as $3 a month. Absolutely. And patrons at the $7 tier or higher. So, you know, if you're really cool, if you really like us, they get... A shout-out every episode. The Two Idiots Hall of Fame. If, you know, as you... Very prestigious. If you were. Yeah. <laughs> That's what I was trying to say. As you were? If you were? <laughs> if you were. I don't know. It, it's fitting that I can't speak for the Idiots Hall of Fame. Um, <laughs> but, so, yeah, so you basically you get your name shout-out. Shout it out. Shoot it out. Shoot it out. How do I Real shout Canadian, it out? eh? You're going to get a shoot-out on the podcast. Shoot. I'm going to get your name shooted. Um, <laughs> how about that, eh? Uh, so, yeah. So, huge thank you. It helps support the show. Makes us feel really good about ourselves. So, thank you mm-hmm. to these people. Randy, do you know who they are? We have Danny Duick, Kayla Ooh. Lundberg, Ooh. on behalf of her and Jordan Peters, uh, Drew McDonald, Ooh. and Mr. Brian Moore. Ooh. That's the Idiot Hall of Fame. They're wonderful people. They think we're okay too. I think. I you would know. you would think so. I mean, I mean, they're throwing us some shekels here, so not for nothing. Not for nothing. So and we appreciate every penny of it, and we appreciate your your patronage to indeed. our show. Indeed, your patronage. <laughs> patronage, <laughs> yes. So, welcome to the Idiot Hall of Fame. Thank you so much, folks. It helps us keep hey. doing what we're doing. We appreciate it. We really do. Much love. And, yep. uh, yeah, just help us make the show a little better for you. Indeed. Uh, so, folks, thank you for listening. I hope this was another one that gave you a little bit of perspective, maybe a little bit of insight into the situations going on with our elderly and uh, and people in care homes. For sure. And uh, just be kind to each other. Be nice. 
Everybody, let's we're just all humans. Stick let's, uh, you know, we're all cheesy to say we are all in this together and we all got to mm-hmm. kind of work for, we have to work to help everybody, not just ourselves. Indeed, indeed. Uh, speaking of that, please subscribe, rate, follow, review, just tell a friend, spread the word. Let's try and get this little idiot boat mm-hmm. uh, floating higher. I don't know. That metaphor fell apart. But um, <laughs> let's, uh, <laughs> let's. We just want to get into everybody's ear holes. Yeah, deeply. Put it that way. Yeah. yeah. Real deep in the holes. A full on thrust. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Anyway, let's uh let's shut this shut this shit down. <laughs> All right, folks. Um we love you. Keep fit, have fun. Thank you for listening. Stay safe out there.